0: as you develop a sound mind, you'll really be able to to understand very deeply all these different expressions of the Dharma. There's many different fingers pointing at the same moon, and the idea is to look at the moon, not at the finger.
1: Welcome to the Joseph Goldstein Inside Out this podcast is an expression of our shared interest in self-discovery join joseph as he shares his deep knowledge of the path of mindfulness if you are interested in supporting this podcast please go to beherenownetwork.com joseph
0: depending upon the sense organs contact arises if there were no sense organs, there would be no contact. If there were no body, there would be no sense organs. Right? It's all this chain of dependent origination. Dependent upon the body are the sense organs. Dependent upon the sense organs is the arising of contact. Okay, dependent upon contact arises feeling. Feeling being the quality of pleasantness or unpleasantness or neutrality. In each moment of contact. Whenever we see something, or hear, or smell, or taste, or touch, or have a mental a mental idea, at every moment, dependent upon that contact, arises this feeling or quality of pleasantness, unpleasantness <coughs> or neither. No way to stop the feeling. If there is contact, feeling will arise. <coughs> Here comes the crucial link. Dependent upon feeling arises craving, okay? Because of pleasant feeling, we crave for the object, we desire it. If there were no feeling, if there was not this quality of pleasantness, there would be no craving, there would be no desire. It is feeling which conditions desire. Dependent upon desire is grasping or clinging at the object because we desire it, because we crave it, we cling and grasp. If there were no desire, there would be no clinging. Given desire, clinging and clinging and grasping arise. Because of clinging and grasping, we get involved in all sorts of karmic activities, all all those volitions of mind which which move us to act conditioned by this clinging and grasping. So we create all kinds of karma in the, in the enacting of our clinging and grasping. Because of all these karmic forces which are being built up, again, we take birth, following birth, come to old age, death. It's all just this chain of cause and effect. Given the body are or the sense organs, given the sense organs, there are contacts. Given contact, there's feeling. Given feeling, there's desire and craving. Given desire and craving, there's there's clinging and grasping. Given clinging and grasping, there are all kinds of karmic activities. Given the force, the power of that karma, is birth, disease, old age, and death. And so we go around and around and around. How to break the link. There's nothing we can do about having a mind-body because it's there alone. We find ourselves in that situation. The sense organs are there. Given the sense organs, contact will inevitably arise. With contact, automatically feeling is going to come. And just at that point is where, through the development of mindfulness, we can break this chain of dependent origination. If we are mindful, Feeling does not necessarily give rise to craving, to desire. If we are mindful of the feelings as they arise, of pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality, no longer are we mechanically running out this whole conditioning process of clinging and condemning, rather we're simply aware, feeling pleasant, pleasant, unpleasant, being very mindful. Not identifying with the feeling, not taking the feeling to be self, not clinging to the pleasantness, not condemning the unpleasantness, and it's right at that point in this chain that we can that we can cut it. We can break this conditioned conditioned reaction which is driven on by ignorance. If instead of ignorance at that point between feeling and craving, we, we insert wisdom and mindfulness, so then we begin to decondition our minds, right, no longer feeling leading to craving, but feeling leading to detachment, to wisdom, to mindfulness, to understanding. And that's the path to freedom. If we don't crave, there's no clinging there's no grasping. If there's no clinging and grasping, there's none of that buildup of karmic force involved in that grasping. If there's no buildup of that karmic force, there is no longer rebirth. If there's no rebirth, there's not getting old, there's not disease, there's not death. So right at that point, when feeling arises, as it always will at every moment, it is a common mental factor which means it's present in every moment of consciousness. If we are mindful, we stop this whole chain of conditioned relationship. (coughs) It's the way, it's the way to freedom, to enlightenment, to liberation from this (coughs) wheel that we find ourselves on. That's why mindfulness is at the very heart of all the spiritual teachings. The name of it does not matter. You can call it mindfulness, or awareness, or self-remembering, or zazen, or zochen in Tibetan. The word, the concept describing that state is completely irrelevant. It's the quality of mind, which is moment to moment, aware of what it is that's happening, without clinging, without condemning, without identifying it as being self. Just observing the process, observing how everything arises and passes away. Seeing that impermanence, experiencing that very deeply, is the first taste of freedom. No longer no longer reacting very mechanically to what's happening, but just observing the flow. Observing this process of incessant change change without reaction. In the Diamond Sutra, there is one line which contains the essence of all teachings, of all teachings leading to liberation, leading to enlightenment. And that is develop a mind which clings to nothing. Develop a mind which does not cling to anything at all. (coughs) A mind which does not cling to people, or situations, or objects, or the body, or state of mind, or consciousness itself. A mind which is free from any clinging whatsoever on any sign. That's freedom in the moment, and leading to ultimate freedom. To release from this, this wheel of samsara. And the whole thrust of mindfulness training is exactly that development of mind, moment to moment, which is not grasping, not clinging at anything, to see everything as process, arising and passing away. Are there any questions? So, Can
2: you talk about the effort that's requires to begin, how that might well me,
0: Okay. In English we use the word desire to cover very many different states. There are there are two different mental factors involved. One is the desire which is involved with greed or clinging, right? The other is a mental factor which in English is also called desire, but is is not involved with clinging, but rather the motivation or urge to do something, right? that mental factor can operate without any clinging at all. In other words, the desire for enlightenment is to be understood in terms of the urge to do or the motivation, not in terms of clinging at an object, even enlightenment because that's not how it happens. It's just this motivating force which arises because of a certain degree of wisdom and understanding. You understand how things are, so the motivation arises to get free. There's no clinging, no no greed of mind involved in that. But it's confusing in English because we say desire for a sense object, for example, and desire to do something, desire for enlightenment. In English, the word is the same, but they represent two very different factors of mind. Um, can you talked about getting on
1: what happens you
0: when you get off the cycle you'll know but there'll be no you to know anything <laughs> it's free, it's imagine yourself with an excruciating toothache okay all you can your whole being is consumed by the pain of that toothache day and night you can't sleep because of the pain of that Right? Well, that's at some time, at one moment, all of a sudden the pain goes away. Complete absence of pain. The bliss of that absence of pain is
2: released from India. Oh, I just want
1: to say that you know, I'm very glad um, that you're talking about mindfulness because I think it's know the And um, what I found uh, is that um, when I do that, when I pay attention uh, to everything that I'm doing, it becomes very, very rich. And um, as you were talking today, it occurred to me, am I going to be clinging to that? You know, like the shadows are so beautiful, or the sky, or the clouds, or maybe even something petty.
0: that's why we talked about, uh, the last time, the, the cultivation of certain wholesome factors of mind, the spiritual faculties. And when they become predominant, they too should become objects of the meditation so that there is no attachment to them, even to the wholesome ones. We don't want to be attached to to devotion, or love, or, or samadhi, concentration, or energy and effort, or wisdom. <laughs> Or mindfulness itself, because they are all impersonal factors. We don't want to be attached to perceiving things as beautiful or as not beautiful. Merely to be aware of the ever changing flow. Whenever you whenever any state of mind becomes predominant, even the state of experiencing things richly, right, with fullness. That very state of mind should be made the object of meditation, because that, too, is impermanent. Not to cling to anything. Well,
1: we did find something like that <clears throat> in our kind
0: of Dependent, like Dependent upon pleasant feeling arises craving. Right? As long as we're unmindful of that pleasantness, that clinging is going to be there, even if it's two wholesome states. Right? Which is why we have to be very mindful, at every moment, of exactly what it is that's happening and the feeling involved. Right? Oh, pleasant feeling. This is very nice. This is beautiful. Just watching that, because that very comment upon things is another part of the process. That also is not I, the soul. Right? The very evaluation that everything is beautiful, and that this is really a, a good practice to be doing. In the whole. That's just more mental commentary, to let go of everything. It gets more and more subtle, as we clear out the gross level of attachments in our mind. we begin to deal with very subtle, subtle
1: attachments, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Attachments to clear perception, attachments to intelligence, attachments to any kind, any kind of thing that gives us pleasure. It's the same kind of craving, and it's all impersonal. I
1: work each day, every day during the day, but I find
2: that it seems like I make so many movements, so many empty. I i very very doubtful.
0: There's just one rule, and that's to be as mindful as possible. It will evolve. In the beginning, we miss a lot of things. When the mindfulness is strong, a lot more gets picked up. So it's just practice, and and the idea is to be as aware as
2: possible, to be as conscious and mindful as we can. Um, This question has come up before, but I feel very unsure of the difference between the witness. Okay. It's it's exactly
0: the same thing, except that there is witnessing without the witness, and that's why there was some uh, slight lack of clarity I felt last night in the statement that the witness also is some some part of the ego. If there is a concept of witness, then it is. Because it's identifying with the mindfulness. Right? It's taking the mindfulness to be self, so it becomes it becomes an extension of the I thought. In fact, the witness does not exist. All that there is, is this mental process of witnessing. Right? The mental process of mindfulness, which is not I, and not self, and not mind, and we should not identify with that with that process it's just a mental factor working in its own way and then it is it is completely free of any of any self or ego orientation it's just the mental factor of mindfulness functioning to know the object to be aware of the object no self involved in it at all so it's witnessing without a witness. Maybe it's just witnessing going on.
1: Does that clarify? Why don't we sit about
2: 15 or 20 minutes? I have a about, I had to be a reaction
0: coming over and had an a uh, very high speed, lot of
2: generated there. But I sat for about five minutes, trying to trying to find out what was going
0: on, and I couldn't. And it was like throwing me completely out. And you know, I, I didn't know what to do. Eventually, I figured out what was happening. To <laughs> that's not the. It's not uh, so important to try and figure out why things are happening, right? the The development of mindfulness involves being aware of what it is that's happening. If there's a tightness in the stomach, that should just be made the object of meditation. Just observe it. If there's some pre- predominant mental state involved, then that should be made the object of the mindfulness. Okay. You can, you can be with whatever predominant in the moment, and it can be back and forth. But it's not so useful to try and analyze why things arise, because the causes are very many and very subtle, and it could go back 10,000 lifetimes.
1: <laughs> you
0: know, there's no knowing what. There's no knowing the whole chain of cause and effect involved in a particular thing happening, and it's irrelevant. It's all we're interested in is being mindful of it and watching how it comes and goes. Right? If you're letting go of it, not identifying with it, it doesn't matter why it came.
1: Right?
0: So it just undercuts that whole level of analysis. It's just it's just being with the process. Right? is done mindfully,
2: which is the whole the whole teaching is mindfulness. It's mindfulness. It's cultivating mindfulness So I don't see any difference at all.
0: And I don't really see any difference between Ching and Buddhism. As you begin to understand the process in yourself with a silent mind. Right. Not, not on the concept or intellectual level, but really experience the Dharma within yourself. Then you'll, then you'll be able to relate very easily and very deeply to all the different expressions of the teachings. Right? You can read Taoism or Zen, or Chinese, or the Tibetan Buddhism or Southern Buddhism, or a lot of the Hindu scriptures, and they will just be talking to you. they will be talking to your experience. But as, as long as there's um, the staying on the intellectual level, then you get into comparisons and distinctions and all all academically, right? Because it's not, it's not coming, the understanding is not coming from
2: your experience.
0: So as you develop a silent mind, you'll really be able to to understand very deeply all these different, all these different expressions of the Dharma. It's many different fingers pointing at the same moon. And the idea is to look at the moon, not at the finger. Um, if I know saw my own hand, uh, I know yeah, that I end up a very light reading or in the kind
2: of normal reading. The one I've been doing instead, I think, is forcing reading. No, you can't. But it seems like I'm reading a normal, not reading. Okay. Okay.
0: When, when the. Um, the breath gets very fine and very shallow, try to make the mind as fine, okay? Just to to be aware of that very fine breath. That that brings the the mind to a much more subtle level. When the breathing is not apparent at all, be aware of, of the other things that are happening, like sensations in the body or your sitting position. If nothing is happening, like if you really lose body kinds of awareness, be aware of the knowing process, just the fact that Knowing is going on, even without an object, without an apparent object. The knowing, the consciousness itself, becomes the object of the meditation. Don't force the breathing, because it's very tiring, and it's not a breathing exercise. That happens quite commonly in the course of practice. Sometimes the breath gets very, very fine. Just let it be as it comes.
2: Really clear mindset my how it's not karma works. Um, I wonder if, if it seems there's an important difference between action with desire at the end or attachment and action that is done without effort, um, and one creates karma and the other doesn't. Um, is there a logical explanation of why, if someone, say, sets up the robot with some sort of attachment or desire, it would create a reaction? back somehow
0: that whereas they set it out now if any desire being be in then the universe produce reaction back. That. Okay. That's not exactly correct. Because um, only a fully enlightened being who has completely eradicated even the most subtle latent tendency towards ignorance, towards not knowing. Only that being is not creating more karma.
2: Right?
0: Everyone else is creating is creating karma. Sometimes it's wholesome, and sometimes it's unwholesome. Sometimes it's karma leading to liberation. Right? But it's still it's still um, this cause and effect relationship happening. Karma is not to be understood in terms of the action. It's to be understood in terms of the mind behind it. There are three mental factors which are the root, the root factors of all unwholesome actions, and they're greed and hatred and delusion. And every, every mind moment, where there's one or another or combination of those three unwholesome factors, it's productive, it is the creation of bad karma, unwholesome karma, meaning that it brings painful results. There's no one involved in it. It's all empty process, but greed, A moment of greed brings back pain. A moment of hatred brings back pain. A moment of delusion brings back pain. It's just an impersonal cause and effect happening. Greed, hatred, delusion are the three unwholesome roots. Non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, which means non-greed is letting go, generosity, not clinging. Non-hatred is friendliness, love, non-condemning. Non-delusion means wisdom. Being aware of what it is that's happening, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion are the three roots of all wholesome action. They bring back happiness on on whatever level is appropriate. It can be the happiness of sensual fulfillment, it can be the happiness of of drama world, it can be the happiness of enlightenment. Right? Those three wholesome roots are the cause of. of the essence of all holds in common. So it does not have to do with primarily the action. It has to do with the state of mind involved in it. And whether those, those unwholesome roots are present or the wholesome ones. It seems very much
2: like doing something out of greed for that eventually culture is suffering. I don't <laughs> hear what you're saying uh, that sort of
1: long-term many lifetimes uh, kind of up karma. So it's
2: sort of like
0: it's gonna come back soon. No, not the, the one one thing to keep in mind in thinking about karma is the Buddha said there are four things which when thought about too much drive one crazy. That they are beyond the, the they are beyond the range of our of our thought process. One of them being the tracing of how karma works. It's such a subtle, complex interweaving of forces, you know, that there is no way for the ordinary mind to see how if you do an act here, five, time, five times, five lifetimes later, it's going to come back as a you know, an accident or something. It, it's a very, very subtle, complex process happening. So it's not so fruitful to try and trace out those relationships. But in a more general way, one can see, you know, as you become more and more aware and mindful, you can see that... When you act out of greed, you can feel, if you're really aware of what happens in your life, you can see the sort of things that come back, you know, or hatred or delusion.
1: <laughs>
0: One is the, the power of the Buddha mind. There's no way to, to comprehend you know, the range of mind. The, the second is the range of a, of any mind which has attained the level of jhana, which is a high level of samadhi. The, the whole the whole scope of mind uh, <coughs> dealing with high levels of samadhi and psychic power. I mean, when Rambas tells all these stories of what of what his guru and many other beings can do. All we can really do is hear what he's saying. You know, there's no way to understand with our mind that kind of power. Because our minds are not on that level of experience. So to think about it too much, how a person with this thought can can either materialize things or destroy things, cannot cannot be thought about. And the third, um, thinking about the Beginning and end of the world, you know, of the universe. But if you think too much about it, it's not so uh, therapeutic in the mind <laughs> and common What does Buddha say about the uh, the,
2: wording, the being who came before, who originated in the cosmos? Uh, you know I mean? So, Were there any beings who existed before karma, who accrued the
1: original
0: karma that I'm living on now? No, it's not. It's a it's a continuity of process. Each of us represents, at this moment, a certain point in this in this evolution of process, right? Which has no beginning, Mm. according to to what the Buddha said. In other words. Not that things all of a sudden began out of nothing, but this wheel driven on by ignorance and desire has no beginning. It's just... Beginnings. But it has... It can have an end. Right? He taught the way off of the wheel, the ending of the process, the ending of the suffering.
1: The um, way like, you to be even
2: Eventually, you get like, So, and you're left with feeling, like being certain. My fear is that when I get to that place, you know, I won't be able to live in the world. world. You know, the whole,
0: the whole training is exactly to develop a very keen moment-to-moment awareness of living in the world. There's actually no such thing as living in the world or not in the world. We're in the world. (laughs) Whether you're in a cave in the mountains or you're here, uh, the mind-body process is going on. And the the whole meditation is exactly living fully every moment. Let the Dharma unfold as it will. You know, let that purity of awareness, let it lead where it does, because it's only, it's only strengthening that kind of non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. All of all that we're giving up is are unwholesome factors, negative factors. Yeah. As long as we want anything, we're going to get it. So there's no fear about about ending it too soon. You know, Because as long as you want something, you're going to be around to experience it. Was, uh, in regards to the last question, what I well,
2: experienced is I expect to experience, How will tell you, cycles of uh, both maybe greater bliss and greater suffering as a result of starting out in the past. I'm sure that there's phases, I wonder how I've guessed it, and I'm asking you. And There's phases you go through where you start looking around and think that you accept it in this way somewhat comfortably start start maybe feeling compassion for people who seem so doing so much cleaning, condemning and forgetting and people that you care about. And and much of your previous life that you had been living so filled with that. And that suddenly so you don't feel at home there anymore. And uh, and and that something
1: you to become mindful of that that did not clean there But there are cycles,
2: aren't there, of now the like healing and then uh, you have to do more and kind of work you don't have to do a little
0: that. You get back home or from the world. Yes, yes, I do. Um, in fact, i would be curious about how you handle it. Is anything
2: in your, I don't think you, at some point, you were not in the marketplace, but, mm-hmm. but if you would, and then and back, you came back, you'd to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that. would be pretty mm-hmm. It makes
0: that. relating to people. Much easier, because the whole the whole uh, development of mindfulness is a very non-judgmental state. And when we stop judging ourselves, then automatically that whole process of judging others gets less and less and less. And you see that you can relate to everyone, right? Whether they're practicing mindfulness or not practicing mindfulness, if there's no judging going on, then there's a very easy, simple. Relationship, right? That happens, and depending on circumstances and and one's own you know, whatever you happen to be doing at the time, will dictate where you're living and with whom. But the the quality of the relating to people gets very very easy. Non-judging is so nice. <laughs> and one interesting exercise which I found super helpful, right? which you can experiment with. As I was first getting involved in this kind of training, I sort of resolved that I was not going to get involved in talking about other people. If I'm talking to someone, not to to engage in conversation about a third or fourth or fifth person, Mm
1: -hmm. right?
0: And I was just amazed that 90% of the speech fell away. And the mind got very light, you know, because in all that kind of talking about other people is a very ingrained judging process, right? And as soon as you just cut off that whole expression of it, you find the mind very much free of that of that judgment, judgment level. And you just might experiment, you know, and see what it does for your mind. When you stop talking about other people, which does not serve any purpose anyway, it's completely useless talk. Right? And I just, as, as a further suggestion, you might think, "Well, I'll just say nice things about other people. You know, I won't say the bad things." But I tried that, and it's very easy to slip back into the old habits. You know, so it's really good just to cut off that whole that whole realm of useless speech. And you'll find your mind getting very, very light and relating to people much more easily because we carry around a lot of below-the-awareness-threshold guilt of having said something and, oh, maybe that person's going to find out. You know, We're carrying it around with us. And it just eliminates that whole heaviness and darkness of mind. It's quite an interesting thing to do. And you'll see how difficult it is. How, Mm -hmm. How... Habituated we are to that kind of talk. Yeah. Um, right. Then you
1: said die,
0: right. The, the whole training is not to judge what's going on inside. It. Right. Not clinging, not condemning, not evaluating, not commenting upon, not choosing, just being aware. Right. If judgments start happening. The very judgment should be the object of meditation, not to identify with the judging. So you just see that as part of the process, and it comes and goes very quickly then. Like, I've, I've
1: tried that, but in
0: the as the mindfulness develops and gets more and more finely tuned to what's happening in the mind and body, you will, you will become free of that. Because the whole training is exactly in not judging, in being aware of what's happening without evaluating. <laughs> There are two different kinds of meditation heads. One is the development of samadhi, and then the development of mindfulness The development of samadhi, or concentration, requires very special circumstances, otherwise you're fighting, it's just fighting a lot of obstacles. Whereas you need a very quiet place and a very secluded place without disturbances, with nothing, with no obligations or responsibilities, so you can devote yourself to that development of one-pointedness of mind. And that's the way to do that kind of meditation properly. Mindfulness means just being aware of what it is that's happening moment to moment. There is no time at all when mindfulness is inappropriate because it just, it's not doing anything. It's just being aware of what is already happening. The alternative to mindfulness is sleeping.
2: It's a state of sleep.
0: So there's no, there's no question about whether I'm ready to be mindful or, or where I should go to be mindful. It's starting right now from wherever we are and just cultivating that factor. Does that answer
2: you?
1: How about this someone who um, has trouble getting in touch with okay his emotions or feelings about him? Um, I don't know, it kind of seems like it could be a dangerous point for someone who's not in touch with with his feelings and his emotions.
0: Yeah, uh, That can happen, that also is a, uh, very much expresses the, the care with which one has to undergo the concentration techniques, okay? because it's making the mind very powerful and suppressing a lot of the, the stuff that's in us, in that focusing on a single object. You're making the mind very strong, very one-pointed, but it's like holding down the, right? Without proper guidance, that can be very tricky. Mindfulness mindfulness is, is a very interesting factor of mind, because not only does it bring all the factors of enlightenment together, but it serves the function of balancing the mind. Right? It's keeping everything in balance, and that's why there's no... Uh, There's no danger involved in its cultivation. It's it's sort of a self-regulating. Things come up because we're not choosing the object, right? We're just sitting back and watching what's happening. It's all coming as part of a very natural flow. And the mindfulness keeps, keeps our mind in a state of balance with regard to it. So we go to different levels of mind progressively. As the mindfulness increases, we're able to deal with deeper and deeper stuff within us. But it's a it's a very balancing attitude. I might also add, in doing intensive work, you know, where you're where you're cultivating in, like all day long in a retreat, it's very helpful to have a teacher, you know, because then it is getting very intense and a lot of things are coming, and it's very easy to back oneself into a corner, okay? and a teacher can be a very big help in that kind of intensive practice.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: A very good book describing the details of this practice, just the technique, what to do, is called Practical Insight Meditation. They did have it here. It's in the library. (laughs) Right. I think they sold out, but will be coming. Uh, There'll probably be more. That's a very good book on the technique. Right? Just practical insight meditation. Mahasi Sayadaw, who is my teacher's teacher in Burma, who is a very famous meditation master. And he's the one who sort of reintroduced this whole system of mindfulness training. You know, in Burma. Uh, one thing about that book, it's divided into two sections: one on the basic practice, and one section on the progressive stages that you go through. It's not so helpful to get too involved in the part of the progressive stages, because then the mind just starts thinking about what's going to happen. Right? You might, if you're interested, you might just like skim through it to get an idea, but. Don't don't get too involved in it because it will be a hindrance in the practice. Uh, another book is called The Power of Mindfulness, which is in that same series, and it's a nice little essay by a German monk in Ceylon who's been who's been a monk for many many years, uh, and he underwent this kind of training and has written a lot, and it's just a, it's an essay really on what mindfulness means and how it's applied. And the Heart of Buddhist Meditation,
2: another good book.
0: And there's a whole beautiful Zen literature and Taoist literature, you know, which is very beautifully expressed Dhamma. That little book, that that third patriarch, that's all one needs to know.
1: You know, it's all Any other questions? Um, Before, when you were talking about stopping gossip about people, um, is the state in that acting differently for them so that uh, you don't build up a reservoir of hatred and unsafe things and? um,
0: if you're mindful, if you're aware, you will see that the behavior is altered. You know, it flows out of the awareness rather than as as under such programming oneself. Because that can create
1: attention. You know,
0: if you're if you're cultivating this growing awareness, you will see that automatically your behavior alters. And also the, the non gossip lightens the mind to a point where you are no longer judging. It's a very accepting state of mind. Thank you.